G'day and welcome to the Hunting Connection Podcast. My name is Zach Williams and I am your host. Here we'll connect you with hunters, fishers and outdoor enthusiasts from around the globe. This podcast will share hunting and fishing stories including past experiences and tackle the tough hunting stereotypes our community faces. We hope to be a positive influence to those outside the community while also having a laugh along the way. Hope you enjoy the podcast. G'day and welcome to another episode of the Hunting Connection podcast. On this episode, it's been a long-awaited episode, I have Zach Phillips from Country Outdoors. How are you going? Good day, good day, man. I'm in the same part of the world as you. Yeah, it's great. It's great. Rather than that 17 and a half hour time difference, it's uh, good to get you in the, in the same time zone so we could uh, sit down at a reasonable time and have a good chat. Yeah, man. I just got over my jet lag, so I'm, I'm good. <laughs> How long you been down under for now? A couple of weeks now? <laughs> Yeah, I've been here almost two weeks now. We are uh, waiting on our first baby to be born, and she is due. Congratulations. So, appreciate it, appreciate yeah. it. So, any day now. So, yeah, by the time this episode's aired, um, she will be well and truly here by the sounds of it. Yep, yep, we're ready. We're both a little bit, like, cabin feverish right now. <laughs> Just waiting, so. I bet Mary's happy to be home to, to have it with family surrounded. Yeah. Yeah, she she always wanted to come back for, especially the first one. She just said she couldn't imagine having the baby without her mom and sisters around. So uh, definitely the right move to be here. And yeah, it's always oh. good to come hang. Plus, like summer kind of sucks at home. So good to jump to winter. Oh, def- definitely needs to be born on Australian soil. That's for sure. But yeah. <laughs> probably conceived on Australian soil. So whatever. <laughs> uh, so if people haven't guessed by the accent now, where are you from? Uh, originally from Georgia, USA, so south, southeast. And where are you now? We are based out of Nashville, Tennessee. Beautiful, beautiful. And how long have you been there for? And we've been there off and on, I think, for the last five years now. Uh, I did a stint living in Missouri for a while. I was working for the Bass Pro guys there and uh, moved back to Nashville. Now we've just moved a little bit outside of Nashville to give us a little bit more space. But, yeah, we've been there on and off five years, so. Awesome. Not a bad spot. I don't know. You've never been over, have you? I've been to Texas. That's that's about as far as I've. I haven't gone out of LAX, but yeah, Texas and Mexico. God bless Texas, but you need to come over to Nashville next time. So. I'll I'll get over there. There's a there's a few of those other states I want to visit. Um, I know Arkansas has the the world squirrel cook off. I want to go go visit that one day. That's pretty exciting. I've never been to that. Maybe I'll put that on my list too. Oh, it's it sounds good. I've been listening listening to it through the Bear Grease podcast and when he had the uh, Bear Hunting Magazine podcast. So there's something about squirrels that just fascinate me. I wish we had them here to hunt. Yeah, I never. I guess I kind of take it for granted. I grew up hunting squirrels as a kid and stuff. Like I still love hunting them here and there, but yeah, I don't really think about it a whole lot. They're just kind of there. They're fun. <laughs> really annoying when you're deer hunting sometimes because they'll sit up there and throw acorns at you and stuff. But. Just be thankful you don't have kangaroos there. They're like a 80-pound 80 80 squirrel just hopping through the bush. <laughs> don't trust them. Don't trust them. <laughs> uh, so you touched on it before. What do you do for work? Yeah, we, uh, we have a brand called Country Outdoors. It's an entertainment lifestyle brand. So it started out as a podcast for the Outdoor Channel, and then uh, I quit my job and joined with my wife, and now we do a semi-live semi series with the outdoor channel, just hunting, fishing all over the place. 
And uh, she also does a concert once a month in Nashville, like a writer's round with country artists. So we kind of, we have our feet in the country music world and hunting and fishing. That just sounds like the dream lifestyle. Yeah. I mean, I, I grew up with the hunting and fishing and then I jumped right into being a producer in the outdoor industry. And that was, I mean, my whole life has been part of the trying to push in the hunting industry. So uh, being behind the camera for so many years now, it's a little different being in front of it more, but it's a lot of fun. Get to at least be my own boss. Well, Mary's the boss, but <laughs> have her own schedule at least. No, that's that's awesome. So did, did you prefer being behind the camera or do you prefer being in front of the camera? I like being in front of it just because I get to do what I want to do. Uh, I love being a producer and filming. That was a great chapter. Uh, the only downside to it is I always felt like I was not getting to like pursue my own dreams. I mean, I, I filmed some awesome hunts. I filmed probably 20, 30 elk get killed, but I never killed one myself. So it was like great to get to go on those experiences and meet those people. Um, but it was time to get to do some of those things for myself. And how did you work your way up into the outdoor industry doing that? Uh, most of my jokes say bad luck. I don't, I just always wanted to do it and started filming like my own hunts. You know, I grew up watching Mossy Oak and Primos and all those hunting shows and I always wanted to do that and started filming my own hunts and they were probably horrible. If I found those old tapes, they wouldn't be very good. Uh, but I started in high school filming for a TV show out of South Georgia. And then I kind of, I gave up on it, man. I just like, there's no money to be made in this. I need to get a real job. And I went to college and I, uh, I wound up in Columbus, Georgia for my, the last part of my college. And my roommate was the producer for bone collector, which at the time, I mean, still a big show, but at the time it was really, really big. And, uh, so he was there. And then in that same town you had, a camouflage company and then you had a company called sub seven and they produced a bunch of hunting shows and uh, i knew a couple of those guys and they drug me back into it they called me one day and wanted me to come film at uh one of their shows there locally so i thought it sounded fun went and did it and uh they asked me if i wanted to do it for a living it's like well didn't really think you could but sure and uh started an internship with those guys and yeah never really looked back i stayed with them for five or six years that's awesome that's so good so how did you get into hunting and fishing? Kind of grew up with it. Um, my dad and I had an older brother, three years older than me, and, and my dad got us both into hunting and fishing. So it was just kind of always a part of life growing up. Um, you know, I watched them go on hunting trips without me, and I was like, I was waiting until I got old enough. I wanted to go. And, you know, we always, Outdoor Channel was always on Saturday mornings watching that. So I, was, I grew up with it. Um, yeah. And is there an age restriction for when you can start going out in Georgia or? Uh, it depends. Yeah, it depends on the state. I don't think in Georgia there is. Uh, I'd have to look back. But I think my dad kind of said it. Basically, he felt like when you're old enough and mature enough. And I guess that changes for every kid. I think for me, the first time I went hunting with a gun in my hand, I think I was like, well, first thing I hit with rabbit hunting, I was like nine. And then the first deer, I think I was like 10 or 11. So... Yeah, beautiful. Yeah. Did you tag on many hunts from a young age, or was it just when you got towards nine and then started getting taken out? Yeah, I remember being a little kid, like a little bitty, following my, my dad and my uncle's uh, quail hunting in Missouri. And that was actually my first hunting was following them around, and then I got to shooting the shotgun, and they let me rabbit hunt. And that was the first real hunt I ever did. But before that, 
just tagging along. It was quail hunting. And then when I was probably a little bit older, I would go with my dad and sit. We had a club in Georgia. We'd sit in a box blind and I'd just sit with him. And normally I'd wind up on the floor asleep and he'd wake me up when something was happening. And actually, like the first turkey that I was a part of a successful turkey hunt, I was asleep next to the tree and I woke up to the gunshot. So <laughs> yeah, I started going at a pretty young age. Uh, but yeah, I think I was, I was 12 when I killed my first turkey. So awesome. and I think that was like, that was the beginning for me of like, I'm a hunter now. And is turkeys your bread and butter these days? Yeah, man. Like us guys that grew up in the Southeast, most of us are pretty ate up with turkey hunting. I uh, just, I've been fascinated with it ever since I went when I was a kid. The first one I saw, I just, I remember we were, we were set up and my dad was back behind me. I was looking down a logging road and turkey came down a logging road, full strut, gobbled. And I just, I remember being freaked out thinking that this only happens on TV. It doesn't, this isn't real. It's like you're watching a Mossy Oak show right now. That's where that happens, not here. And uh, turkey walked up to like 15 yards and he was behind a, like a real thin bush. Like now I'd have shot him, but he just looked around it and then flew gone. I never even took my gun off safety. I was so freaked out by it and just excited. And uh, yeah, ever since then, man, I've been pretty ate up with it and I'm still, it's kind of my thing every year. I'm always looking forward to March. Uh, we, we normally go from the beginning of March in South Florida. And then we ended this year and uh, the last one I killed was in South Dakota, but we, we try to hunt all the way through this year. I quit a little early so I could come over here, but normally I'd hunt till June. That's sweet. Is it Easton's or Miriam's that were in Georgia or where you were hunting or? I grew up on, on East. Yeah, that's, that's what I grew up with was Easterns in the, you know, South Georgia swamps and, um, hunted Easterns until, man, I think the first time I traveled was when I was like 20 years old. We went to Nebraska. We wound up hunting Rio's out there and kind of hybrids, like maybe Miriam's. Uh, but yeah, that was the first time I hunted anything other than Easterns and then eventually made it down to Florida and hunted Osceola's. So but yeah, grew up with Easterns. That's awesome. Um, what's your, your favorite subspecies of turkey to chase? I I really like Miriams. Um, I like going out west and hunting them in the big pines. They're just a lot of fun. They gobble a lot. They're real vocal, and they're just really pretty. Uh, I was I love hunting Miriams. They're fun, but it's I don't know. It's hard to pick. Like I always like going back to my roots and hunting Easterns in the South. They're just more frustrating. It, for for the Australians listening who really don't have much knowledge of turkey and turkey hunting, is there much difference between the what is there, about five different subspecies? Uh, to someone that didn't grow up with it, maybe not as much, but they do look a lot different. They sound a lot different. The way they act and communicate is a little bit different. Uh, it, yeah, but it, as an Australian people listening, probably not as much. Um, but they're not a bush turkey. They're different. <laughs> yeah, completely yeah. different to the turkeys we have here. You know, yeah. there's a couple of small feral populations of... Uh, you know, I post the photos up of the ones I've shot and people are like, oh, do they look like a mediums? Do they look like an Eastern? Do it, like, they're just a feral subspecies of domestic turkeys. So whatever, whatever they are, but yeah, whatever they dropped off the boat. Yeah. Long time ago. But, it's, uh, it's yeah, pretty I much mean, the same as New Zealand's feral populations over there. Yeah. That, you know, in the South turkey hunting's a huge deal. It's kind of a, a big subculture there, but you know, you get out West and you start talking to a bunch of bow hunters and most of them just kind of roll their eyes and are like, Oh, turkey hunting. 
but I love it. So, do you have the? Uh, is it the Turkey Turkey Grand Slam or the Turkey World Slam? What do you What are you sitting on? Uh, I've been able to do Grand Slam several times. Uh, I have not yet done what they call the World Slam or Royal Slam, which is the Goulds and the Nosolated in Mexico. So, I'm going to add that to my list. Hopefully next year. And then, uh, man, I, I want to. I just want to kill one in New Zealand to say I did, and then Australia, just because I've not heard of many Americans coming to Australia and shooting a turkey. So why not? Yeah, hundred oh, percent. That's the true, true world slam. Then. Yeah, and he's throwing a bush turkey, and then you got some all <laughs> that slam. Then you'll be Australia's most wanted. Then. <laughs> not bad. So, what age did you start chasing after whitetails? Oh man, I think I, the first time i went was with my dad when i was really young like nine or ten but the first one i killed i was i think i was like 12 or 13 years old um i went with my dad in south georgia he got permission to go to somebody's place and i had a box blind and i had a little 243 and i shot my first buck he was a nine point and pretty good buck like it's still it's like a probably 120 130 uh good deer especially for your first so yeah, I was beautiful. spoiled from then on out, which in the Southeast, we don't, the whitetails typically don't get super big. Like there's exceptions, but they're, they're not as big as their Midwestern cousins. Uh, so as a kid to kill a 120 was a pretty big deal for my first one. So that's awesome. That's awesome. Are you primarily a bow hunter or a rifle hunter, um, shotguns for turkeys, water, or do you just chop and change whatever the season is over there? Yeah. I mean, I, turkeys, I feel like, God made the turkey to be shot with a shotgun. That's just, that's how that is. Um, when it comes to everything else, I love bow hunting. Uh, bow hunting is definitely my preferred. That being said, I will pick up a rifle if time calls for it, but I love to bow hunt. I would much rather bow hunt. What's your uh, bow setup you're running at the moment? Right now I'm shooting an elite Omnia. Beautiful. What? 70 pound? Yeah, it's a 70-pound setup. Uh, they just came out with the Arrow, which is the, their carbon bow, and I haven't got my hands on that one yet, so I'm pretty interested to shoot it, but I love the Omnia. Their bows the last several years are just like – I say it all the time. I'm like, man, I just I don't know how much more they can do to make a bow good, but it seems like every year it's just like a little bit faster, a little bit smoother, so yeah, I love that. All the bow brands are <laughs> progressing quite a bit. I'm a PSE guy. All of those bows that you can see behind me, that that's all yeah. all PSEs. Um, but that was just you know the first first bow we bought and come with the um, with the DVD of all the whitetail bow hunting, and I've just been hooked on PSE ever since. But yeah, lots of different bow band, brands are making crazy, just crazy bows. Oh yeah, and the the top four or five brands, you really can't go wrong. I always tell people just like go shoot them, pick them up, shoot them, shoot a PSE, shoot a Matthews, shoot an Elite, uh, shoot a Hoyt, see which one fits you because they're all good bows. It's just a matter of which one fits you the best. And what arrow broadhead combination are you running? Do you change a bit for depending what you're chasing, or you run just the same arrow? Yeah, I change around a little bit. Uh, I've been shooting Easton's for the last couple years now. Uh, just depends. For deer, I'm shooting an Axis. And uh, then for the bigger stuff, like when I came over here hunting buffalo, I, I built a much heavier arrow. Uh, but for the most part, the Axis, and I don't get too carried away with it. I think my arrows are they're like 450 grains-ish right now. I try to keep closer to 500, so between 450 and 500 is where yeah. I normally land. Um, I don't get too carried away with that and then on broadheads I, I go back and forth i used to shoot expandables a lot and i've kind of 
moved away from a little bit shooting more fixed blades nowadays um been shooting a lot of the slick tricks lately but also i'll jump around a little bit i like shooting the, the uh i've tried kudu points and i've shot iron wheels and i've just experiment with them really what um grain heads are you running are you running 125s or 100s or typically always 100 yeah um, you know it depends I, my access right now for my whitetail setup i have brass inserts that are you know 75 grains i think and then i'm running 100 grain broadhead on that when i came over and hunted buffalo i put a 125 grain point just to have more more weight up front um but man i think most of the time i'm guilty of overthinking it um we're shooting such good equipment now efficient bows that it's important like you don't want to be shooting a twig at them but some of us i think sometimes we get carried away with the science and trying to get too heavy of an arrow yeah, it's, it's crazy just the difference between Australia and America. Like, Australians tend to go for a heavier arrow. Um, we want that, that high FOC where Americans tend to want that speed, um, you know. I don't like, yeah, I, you know, having a heavier arrow, there's nothing wrong with it. It's fine. The only thing I try to, I try to find a happy medium just because I don't like having crazy pin gaps. Because at 40 yards, if he steps three steps and he's now at 44 yards, that's pretty significant if you're shooting a super heavy arrow. Yeah. I think it's just mainly because, you know, once once you're chasing a certain species of game, that's all you're chasing. Where most of the places over here, you're running into red deer, fallow deer, pigs, goats, rabbits, hares, foxes, dogs, whatever. So you want to have a arrow that can just bowl over anything that walks out you know uh, there's not many bow hunters that i know here that shoot 100 grain heads it's all 125 150s 185s 200s like yeah yeah fair enough yeah when i when i came over when i was trying to shoot a buffalo the arrows i built were man they were like 700 something grains they were yeah. pretty heavy and i i still kind of think i went a little overboard just from doing tests when we had one on the ground i started shooting a little bit and seeing and the one that mary wound up shooting like she's pulling 50 pounds her draw length is super short and her arrows are like 390 400 grains so i wasn't sure how it would perform and we wound up testing it before she hunted and every arrow buried to the fletchings That's and it's awesome. just yeah i mean you're, you're shooting sharp cut on contact broadheads pretty efficient bows like as long as you make a good shot you know, I think sometimes we get a little bit carried away, but you can't go wrong with having more weight either, as long as it's shooting good. Oh, hundred percent. It's all all what you prefer and how you want your bow to bow to shoot. At the end of the day, we all hang each, hang shit on each other for what brands, what arrows, what weights. But you know, it all works at the end of the day. Yeah, for me, a lot of it depends on what I'm hunting and where too, because like everybody's comfortable at different distances and depends on the species as well. Like, yeah, with a Buffalo, I wasn't going to shoot over 30 yards on a whitetail. I might stretch it out a little bit further. So yeah, you know, well, a Buffalo is a little bit bigger than a, than a whitetail yeah. buck. <laughs> yeah. Man, even the pigs up there, like I wasn't shooting past 40, um, partially because of my setup, but it just one, you didn't really need to, uh, but it's a pretty tough animal. So, Oh, they're insane. You want to give us a rundown about about the Buffalo trip? Who'd you go with? Um... Yeah, that's fine. Um, let's see. I think it was five years ago I came over, or four years ago I came over, and I wound up, this Western Wear company invited me up. Uh, they wanted me to come hang out and take pictures and stuff, and 
through that, I met a character in the Northern Territory called Carl Goodhand. And uh, I asked him on the trip, I didn't know anything about Carl. I just, you know, never even heard of the guy. And he said something about buffalo hunting. I was like, oh, you're a buffalo guy. And he's like, the best. <laughs> All right. And uh, we started talking and it didn't take long to figure out we had some mutual friends. And we just, we hit it off really good and kept in contact. And he's always like, dude, come on, come on. I'm like, man, I, I can't afford a buffalo hunt. And he's like, I don't. Yeah, I know. Come Buffalo hunt. So <laughs> wound up going. And uh, this last September, me and Mary went up and I really had no idea what we were getting into. We didn't communicate a whole lot about like specifics. I was just like, we're showing up. We got our bows and we'll figure it out. And uh, wound up going with Carl and we wound up on Arnhem Land with a fellow named Captain. And man, it was uh, quite an adventure there. We wound up. Mary killed a huge buffalo. I was able to kill a big one with Carl and then uh, we both killed several pigs on that trip and it was definitely one to remember. And it was exactly ish nine months ago. So do the math. <laughs> Sounds like a good trip all, all the way around. That's for sure. And I, yeah. I remember when the photos started coming through of um, yours and Mary's buffaloes. It was, it was pretty epic. Yeah, that was a trip that'll be pretty hard to top. I just, that first time going up there, to the Northern territory. I just kind of fell in love with that place. It's, uh, it's kind of like the wild West and it's, it's very hot. It's unforgiving and there's pretty awesome animals up there. that are tough. So yeah, you know, any chance to go back and see old Carl um, yeah. come to the States a couple times. That's awesome. That's awesome. Always good. Good times with old Carl. Yeah. I've, I've been up to the NT a few times, but yet to hunt or fish up there, you know, uh, I'd spent a week up, a week and a half up there for my 18th birthday and, you know, all these plans to go out and I just got carried away in the party life in Darwin. And <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, never, never got out for a fish, never got out for a hunt. I sent a, sent a buff from a, from a fair distance away on one of the safari croc tours, but that's a, that's about all there. Yeah. And I, I mean, I've did that one trip, but I have a lot of ground left to cover. I haven't got to fish up there. And then uh, there's several things I haven't got to hunt, including down this way as well. So there's a lot of things left on my list, but that one was cool. I was glad we got to check that one off the list because I just, I would have never imagined, you know, four or five years ago that I'd be in Australia hunting a buffalo. So that's pretty awesome. Was that your first game taken in Australia? The pigs and the buff or? Yeah. I mean, I think actually uh, technically a rabbit. Like the first time I came over, we hunted rabbits with ferrets, which was super weird. I thought I knew every way there was to hunt and kill things, and then they sprung that one on me. Uh, but that was my first like official hunt in Australia. I'd say it's one of the only things that Australia wouldn't ban, but it is banned in Queensland, I'm pretty sure, owning ferrets and hunting with ferrets. So <laughs> That was a new one. Yeah, they sprung that one on me. I thought it was awesome. I oh, just, it's that cool. Was, yeah. I would, I, no one at home has ever heard of that one, I don't think. So they're always surprised when I bring that picture up of me holding the ferret. But yeah, I think up there with Carl was my first official hunt. And uh, the first thing I killed on that trip was a, a big pig laying in a wallow. So that was fun. I mean, we, I grew up in South Georgia growing up uh, bow hunting pigs. So that was, it's familiar, but also a lot different and super fun. How much different are they? I know they're all Sue Scruffer and they're all, you know, a feral wild pig, but how are they much different body-wise over in Georgia compared to NT or? Um, I would say on average, the ones in the NT are a little bit bigger, a little bit tougher, a little meaner looking. 
uh, I would say the the hunting definitely a little bit easier up there just because a numbers and I just the hunting pressure it, it doesn't seem like they get hunted whereas in South Georgia they're scared for their lives all the time so that was a little bit different but uh not too different I mean a pig's a pig right yeah pretty much pretty much so what type of gear are you taking out hunt say on a bow hunt you you're going out for mornings and afternoon sits or you're out all day and what type of gear are you taking out in your pack with you yeah, it really depends. Like if I'm whitetail hunting, um, typically mornings or evenings, if it's November, like heavy rut, I'm probably going to try to sit all day. Uh, so changes a little bit, but for the most part, rangefinder and optics is a huge one. Release. I always have one backup release because I'm sure you've gotten in the field and forgot your release and that sucks. Yep. Uh, snacks are important if you're going to sit all day, right? What's your go-to snacks in the, are you you hunting tree stand or saddle or? uh, I bounce back and forth. I definitely, I've got to use in a saddle quite a bit over the last couple of years. When it first, not when it first came out, but when I first started seeing it a lot on like social media, I was like, that was kind of goofy. Like, you know, horse, like saddles are for horses kind of deal. And uh, then I finally used one. I'm like, man, I was kind of mad at myself for not starting it sooner, but also thinking back to being a kid and hunting public land and walking super far and hunting like opening day in Georgia where it's super hot. I'm like not carrying a tree stand would have been pretty cool. So they're super adaptable. Uh, great for covering a lot of ground. So I use saddles quite a bit, but I'll bounce back and forth. If there's already a stand hung, I'm going to sit in it. Um, but yeah, I mean my bow, my arrows, rangefinder, optics, snack, drink, good knife, that's really all you need. Yeah. I mean, it depends on the time of year. Might what bring a, a grunt, awesome rattling drums. What knives are you running? Uh, I've been using Outdoor Edge pretty much for a long time. Um, I like the replaceable replaceable blades. I normally keep like a normal good fixed blade just for heavy-duty stuff in my pack, but I use the Outdoor Edge quite a bit. Yeah, the first Outdoor Edge I came across is my mate who I hunted Texas and Mexico with. He he bought one of the, the swing blade ones where it's got the knife with a ball and it all folds back into the blade like you've either got one blade and then you fold it it goes back the other blade goes into the handle and the other one comes out it's a pretty pretty cool little bit of kit yeah they came out like i feel you know six seven years ago was when you started first seeing the replaceable blade ones and uh about cut my thumb off with one when i first got it i got a scar on my thumb there but uh (laughs) They're super sharp, which is good, but also, like, you got to be a little bit careful because, yeah, that one, I was like, I had a back strap. I was putting it in the cooler, and the wind blew the lid shut, and the lid fell on my thumb, but my knife was in this hand, and it hit it, and just straight to the bone. Not ideal. That's so, yeah, sucky. That's sucky. Uh, I use that but with caution. So, back on the tree saddle, it's something that I've been very interested in for the last couple of years, but it just going to cost an arm and a leg to get get a full setup down here in Australia because you have to get it from the States and then you're paying double plus shipping and, you know, for, for you know, a medium set, you know, a cheapish set, you're looking at six, maybe 700, 800 bucks and that's almost without steps. Um Explain to the listeners what a saddle hunting setup is for those that don't know. And you should have told me how to brought you one. Save shipping. <laughs> uh, but no, the saddle itself, you have the saddle that you wear and it goes around your waist. And then you have the tether that goes to the tree. So it's around the tree, a line coming to your waist, and you're just leaning back in it. 
And uh, the first time I looked at it, I didn't think it would be super comfortable, but it really is. And I have a, I have a horrible lower back. Uh, so for me, sitting in a tree stand, like up against the tree at 90 degrees is horrible for my back. So pretty comfortable. Uh, and then a wide array, of, like I use three steps and just get up with a, like an aider. But some people do one step and they get pretty creative with it. But the steps are normally super light. The whole point of a saddle is you're not carrying a lot of gear. You can cover a lot of ground. And, uh, you know, the price is a lot of times people are like, man, saddles are expensive. But the difference is you're taking one saddle, whereas on a farm in Missouri, I might have 20 lock-ons. So instead of having 20 lock-ons on the property, I have one saddle. So kind of a trade-off there. Um, But yeah, that's pretty much, it's pretty simple. They they look reasonably simple. And I reckon that'd be a game changer in Australia because most Australians, bow hunters and rifle hunters, we hunt on the ground. We walk, we play the winds, and we just put the kilometres in to find the deer. You know, it's some people might sit on a on a game trail for a bit, you know, a few hours if that, but we, we're ones to move. We're always moving, where I reckon if someone, like tree stands, there's a couple of people that are using them, but I reckon, yeah, saddles would be a game changer over here, especially in like Samba country, where you can preach yourself way up above the the game trails where the samba move i reckon would just be an absolute game changer for bow hunters in oz yeah i mean they're it's mobile that's the whole point is that it's light you can throw it in your pack and go and pretty versatile so uh yeah i think here it would you know i've not hunted samba but i would feel like it would be pretty good way to get in there after them and it's different like at home if i'm out west and you're hunting mule deer antelope obviously you're not hunting tree stands and still hunting but in the east if you're hunting whitetails like quite a bit different um definitely still hunting is far more effective when it comes to whitetails especially east of the mississippi but uh yeah i don't know i'd, I'd have to see here do you wind up hunting them over water holes here um with the samba they hunt them over wallows um so that would be a, a prime spot to hunt them fallow deer over my area they don't really wallow um it's just you know they move through the thick bushland you know and when it's coming into our rut, so late March, early April, it, we're just coming off our summers, you know, and it's been 35, 40 degrees, you know, still in that early April, it can be 35 degrees still. So it's just everything's cornflakes. So being up off the ground would just be an absolute game changer. Well, we need to get you a saddle and see see what your consensus is on Yeah, 100%. Because the good thing about it is, as mobile as it is, if you're in a spot and you're sitting for a while and you're like, this sucks, I need to get down and move, it's pretty easy to hop down and keep going. Oh, so. I, I could imagine it looks looks just incredible for being lightweight and then, again, easy to move as well. Well, we need to talk to the folks at Trophy Line and get you set up, see if see if it works out for you. Sounds like I think. Sounds like a good plan, I reckon. Marketing them in Oz, I reckon it would, it would definitely go well. I think so. Why not? I want to try it now. <laughs> do it. Do it. There's there's, there there's a bunch of um, public land you can hunt in New South Wales that you just get your um, R license, and there, there's some incredible incredible public land through New South Wales. Well, it's like being up off the ground here would be a little safer. Most of the snakes are on the ground. so oh, yeah. Australia's safe hunting compared to America. <laughs> I mean, I... Maybe, but when you talk to people in America, when you come over here, they legitimately think that you're in like a day-to-day struggle, fight for your life against snakes and spiders. Uh, I have this argument all the time. It's like, we've got a few deadly snakes 
and it's only if you're bitten. But you guys have several types of bears. You've got mountain lions. You've got coyotes. You've got wolves. You've got all of these things, you know. Our deadliest things are in the top end, you know. As long as you're below that <laughs> that line where crocs, crocs are, you're fine. Bears are cute and fuzzy. It's all right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're definitely a dream hunt for me, that's for sure. I can't wait to skewer a black bear with a bow. They're pretty fun. They're pretty fun. Oh. They're not that dangerous. Y'all's women are way more dangerous, too. <laughs> you would know. Uh. <laughs> yes, I would. So what would be your top beginner tip for someone getting into hunting and bow hunting? And Man, I think just crawl, walk, run, and uh, don't overwhelm yourself. I think it's easy to get overwhelmed with it and put unrealistic expectations on yourself. Uh, nowadays, there's so much media out there to help you learn. There's you know, YouTube, TV, articles, the internet. I think you have to be a little bit careful and pick the right ones. Just find reputable sources that have been around for a while, but there's so much information there. I, I think just don't be too hard on yourself. Like even the best bow hunters, the ones, the best ones I've ever filmed, they make a lot of mistakes. You're going to make mistakes. You may not be successful right off the bat. And I mean, determine what is successful to you. I think, you know, just having realist, realistic goals and expectations is important, but um, don't get intimidated. I mean, I think a lot of Sometimes if you jump in and you start watching certain media, it's like, man, you have to be like a Navy SEAL to be able to go elk hunt. <laughs> and I don't think that's necessarily the case. I think there's all kinds of different hunting and different tactics for hunting that suit pretty much anybody. So I think just take your time, ease into it, find a mentor if you can, and just try not to get overwhelmed by it. Nah, definitely some good definitely advice. Some good advice. Uh, so working with lots of different gear and trying lots of different stuff out, what would be your top five beginner items for a beginner? Mm, top five. I think what's changed the game for me in the last several years has been just having map on my phone on X. Um, that's super helpful for me when it comes, which not the same here, but at home I can get on on X and look at who owns property and I can look at property lines. It tells me the difference where the public line is and the private lines. So for that purpose, super helpful, but also just the unknown of terrain, being able to look at the topo and see, you know, how the, the terrain lays out uh, with like an elk or turkey. It's a huge deal. Like, there might be a gully between you and that, that elk, or there might be a creek between you and the turkey or a fence you didn't know about. So for me, number one, that one, just because knowing where you're at is huge. Yeah, I love uh, Onyx, man. I, I use it down here. The only yeah. issue I've found with Onyx here is they've taken it off of the app store in Australia. So you have to change all your app settings to the US to be able to download it, unfortunately. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, I mean, I fired up Onyx the other day and looked here, and like, obviously it doesn't have the private land and public land laid out. But still, as far as like for hunting applications, it's fine like you can turn on tracking and yeah. see exactly where your footsteps were which to me is pretty big because if i'm tracking my footsteps and i come across something or i shoot something i can at least go back and know that's where it happened yeah so um, if you downloaded it before they t they took it off of the australian app store you can still use it or if you change your your phone settings to american app store and then you can download it and use it so i've used it for my snake island hog deer hunt earlier this year uh you know might use it to mark out all of my properties trail cameras rubs trails everything 
And then in New Zealand as well, I pre-downloaded the area that I was going going in and went through and marked all the different huts and places just so I had a rough understanding of the area. And I, I absolutely rate Onyx. Oh, it is huge. I mean, for us, like I'm, I'm always traveling and hunting new properties. So the ability to learn a new property, figure it out, and I'm learning as I go, Onyx, it helps hugely. I mean, being able to drop pins on, like you said, rubs and wallows and whatever I come across, it's pretty huge. But definitely sounds like they need to talk to their nerds and get it put back on the app store. Definitely. I recommend it to lots of people. And then I started getting messages back saying, hey, we can't download it. How do we download it? So I had to go down a rabbit hole and I'm like, oh, look, if you change your settings this way, you can download it through the American store. So there was a bunch yeah. of bunch of guys who uh, hunted Snake Island this year that specifically downloaded it so I could send through trails and um, I put the breadcrumb trail in and tracked all the different spots out and marked everything out for a bunch of people. So that helped a bunch of different people be successful. Hey, just hey, don't oversend your pens though. <laughs> I, I was talking to a random dude in a store this last turkey season and he was like, hey, I'm going to go to this. He named the public. He's like, I'm going to this place and I'm going to hunt this spot. So-and-so sent me the pen. And I was like, Oh, I'd love to see that pen because I actually sent them one last spring. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So the the thing about Snake Island is it's it's a draw draw only hunt, um, and it's national park, so you can only draw it, and they they pick about I think it's about forty ish people for Snake Island alone to hunt it every year. So it's it's pretty good to help people out for that one because you know it might be only a once in a lifetime draw. Yeah. Yeah, that I followed along on that one. That was pretty cool. Oh, you, gonna, you guys need to start applying. Absolutely. When it, but the other beginner tools, I think, like, uh, I would put optics and weapons in the same category as far as buy once, cry once. Go ahead and get something good that works well so that you're not buying it again in another year or two. I think you get a good bow, like a sure enough good bow. Instead of, like, like a lot of people make the mistake of, Oh, I'm going to get a beginner bow. Well, it's just, there's a reason it's a beginner bow. It's not as good. So you're going to use it for a little bit and then you're going to want a nicer, newer one. So go ahead and get the one you want that you shoot well. And the same with optics. You buy junky optics, you're going to be buying new ones in another couple of years. And don't, I'm not saying you have to go out and spend $2,000 on binoculars, but maybe don't buy the $40 Tascos at Walmart. Yeah. So what, yeah. what brand of optics, optics are you mainly running? Right now, um, I've had Leupold's, they're great. Vortex, great. Um, obviously, Swarovski and Leicas are a little bit another level. Uh, they're great. I had a pair of Leica binoculars and absolutely loved them. Um, probably not going to go buy another pair just because they're like $2,000. But, yeah, I think that's definitely a category that's worth spending a little bit of money on, depending on where you're hunting. Like, if yeah. you have open ground that you need to cover, a good pair of binoculars goes a long ways. Yeah, 100%. Same with rangefinder. You have a junky rangefinder, you're ranging stuff at 50 yards and it's actually 40 or meters, whatever. That's not ideal. Um, but yeah, beginner, man, uh, other than that, like a good knife is always useful. And uh, comfortable comfortable clothes and good boots. That's huge, actually. Comfortable clothes, I mean, depends where you're hunting, like anything, but being able to stay out longer comfortably is pretty big and then same with boots obviously you're covering a lot of ground getting blisters on your feet is not ideal so buy some good boots what boots and uh, camo are you running uh for boots right now i'm running danners or lacrosse mainly danners for hikers 
And then uh, actually I left a pair up in the Northern Territory with Captain last time I was here. The Aboriginal fellow that was with us, he wound up with my Danners. That's Hope he them. Um, But yeah, I, Danners, they're they're great. And then we're running Nomad in Mossy Oak for, for camo, which does not sell here, um, but it should. Pretty good stuff. You get some Mossy Oak stuff here and there, but yeah, Nomad I, I haven't personally heard of, so. Maybe one day. Maybe one day. <laughs> All right, bit of a silly one, off-the-cuff question, which is one of my favorite ones because I'm a bit of a zombie nerd. Zombie apocalypse weapon. Mm, I think I'm just going to go with a good semi-automatic shotgun with a mag extension. Yep. Because, I mean, it's kind of hard to miss when you're shooting a shotgun, so. Yep, that's yeah. keep it simple, stupid, pretty much. <laughs> the old kiss theory. That's probably what I'm going with. And then, like, a good machete, maybe. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, that, that works, too. So... What have you forgotten on a hunting trip? Uh, normally toilet paper. <laughs> then I wound up with missing socks and sleeves. So that would be a big one. One time I forgot my gun. Yeah. I was turkey hunting and I I was trying to, that's back when I was videoing. So I had my camera and my tripod and I just took off walking and made it like a mile from the truck. And I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> uh, that's a pretty vital piece of equipment. So that's probably number one. But other than that, toilet paper all the time not ideal yeah I, I constantly have a little ziploc bag with some toilet paper in my hunting packs and if i'm changing packs that's the first thing that comes out because hiking in some of these hills over here with no socks on in your boots is not fun <laughs> no is there is there poison ivy here poison oak no no yeah yeah you make that mistake <laughs> once <laughs> I, I could imagine i could imagine that's for sure What's the most important item you take out hunting with you? I mean, obviously your weapon. I think your your bow or your gun is going to be what you're confident in. Obviously, it's what's making the hunt successful or not. Um, aside from that, I think some of the stuff we've already talked about. I mean, the maps to me is huge. Knowing where you're at, being able to, to learn the property. But I think with the weapon, it's to, whether it's your bow or your rifle, having one that you're confident in and really know and are practiced and efficient with is by far the most important. What about a first aid kit? Are you running a first aid kit? It depends. Uh, If I'm like on a backcountry hunt somewhere, like this September or this fall, I drew an elk tag in Montana and it's a general elk tag. So more likely that I'll be in pretty remote places. I'll definitely have one in my pack for that. Uh, If I'm going whitetail hunting, Probably not, because I'm I'm not going to be out for more than a day. Yeah, it'll yeah. be you know my truck or vehicle is pretty accessible on those hunts. But if I'm going to be out for an extended period of time or very remote, then yeah, definitely. What's the signal like over there in the states? Like, just say you're out hunting whitetail or turkey, do you always have signal no matter where you go? Pretty much. Um, no, not always. It really depends. If you're typically whitetail hunting you're in an area where you can at least get service close by. You don't always have service where you're hunting. Like my family farm, barely any service, but you can get to it pretty quick. Uh, out West, no telling. Like if you go back country, you're not going to have service. Uh, we did elk hunt in Colorado two years ago in New Mexico and had service the whole time. So it really just depends uh, kind of up and down there. But Are you running an EPIRB or um, like a Garmin inReach? Yeah, I have a Garmin inReach that I use on on bigger hunts. Like even back when I was filming, we'd go to like Alaska or British Columbia or whatever. I would always have my inReach. 
uh, a just in case and b so I could text home and not lose my mind. Yeah, amazing bit of kit. No, I, I got one for Snake Island in New Zealand this year, and it's just it's great being able to be in the mountains and be able to touch base with home and let let everyone know you're safe. And yeah, I man, I can remember years ago we did a hunt in Alaska that I was filming, and that was before InReach, but we had a satellite phone that we took um, just because we had like five people out there, pretty remote, and we had to call back to get horses and whatever. So we had the sat phone, but very unreliable. I remember like calling Mary and being like, she'd hear four or five words enough to like, I'm alive. And then I'd cut out. So yeah, the inReach is nice to always have the ability to send a text and let people know that you're good. That's great. What about the most sketchy, dangerous thing that's happened to you on a hunt? Um, I would say actually right before the same hunt that I was just talking about, I fell out of a tree stand. It was, what year was that? 2015, I think. I fell out of a tree stand in Missouri on my family farm and I was like 22 feet in the tree. So pretty significant. And it was November 7th. I was walking in the dark and I could hear buck grunting and I was hunting a fence gap and I had this one deer that was really big in the area that I was hoping to get on. And I had, uh, I had a lifeline, which it's a rope that goes to the top and I had a safety harness clipped to it. That way I was clipped to the tree the whole time. And when I got to the top, I was pretty stupid and I had the rope through my backpack so I was, man, back then I was in a tree every other day filming and stuff. So I just took it off, turned around, hung my backpack up. And next thing I knew I was on the ground and, uh, 22 feet landed on my feet and knocked me out. And I remember I woke up on the ground and it was kind of like Ricky Bobby, like your legs work. You know, I, I remember laying there thinking like, oh, I'm paralyzed. Uh, I just always associated falling out of a tree stand with death yeah. or being paralyzed. So I kind of like rolled around on the ground for a little bit. And uh, got up, wound up climbing the tree, getting my bow out of the tree, going to another stand, getting in it. And I actually saw my shooter buck, and he was walking straight towards the fence gap that I had previously been on. And uh, I just remember sitting there, and eventually the pain hit me. And I was like, oh, this is bad. (laughs) I got down, went to the house, and I should have went to the doctor. Never did. And then the next day, I was on a plane going to Montana, and I filmed Remy Warren on an elk hunt in uh, public land montana in the snow that was bad that was not good i was pretty banged up and that dude is pretty hardcore so that oh, sucked i bet i bet and um yeah it's from what i hear tree stand injuries are one of the biggest injuries in the outdoor community in the in the states yeah and i was pretty stupid on that one like nowadays i'm a pretty big advocate for being safe i mean it's super simple to have a lifeline and a safety harness. I mean, you're talking, you're climbing 20 foot, 25 foot a tree. And I think guys are, you know, it's kind of just arrogant a little bit with like, Oh, I'm fine. You don't realize how quick things can go wrong. And it's something so simple, but you fall 20 feet and you're paralyzed and now your family's screwed. So I think something that a $50 harness can save you from is something you should probably do. Uh, I was stupid that day and about paid for it, but that's insane. Yeah, now I just pay for it with lower back pain. Uh, yeah, I think like the stat was like something like sixty thousand people a year in the states are injured by tree stands, which is just insane. I believe it. I mean, you, I've walked through, especially like public land in the south, and just see some of the tree stands that are constructed in the woods by some redneck. It's pretty unbelievable. The things that people a build and b are safe or think they're safe to climb is some sketchy stuff out there in the woods. So. 
I'm not that surprised by it, but yeah, everybody should uh, consider buying a safety harness. And that's back to the saddle thing. I think the saddles are actually quite a bit safer because you're always attached to the tree. Yeah. Yeah. I could imagine. That's the only thing that would scares me about tree stands is that, that rate of injury. Yeah, man. I was hunting a brand new, basically brand new tree stand. Uh, it was a brand new stand. I'd hung it like two or three weeks before and just strap broke. It was a brand new strap. It just bad one from the factory, I guess broke and Yeah wound up on the ground so oh, that's a, that's crazy here I, I probably would have killed him that morning too for sure. <laughs> always the way moving on to a little bit lighthearted what's the funniest thing that's happened to you hmm. there's been a lot of mishaps but <laughs> i think uh i still think one of the funnier things i saw happen was we were on an elk hunt in colorado and we were i was filming so it was me and one of my now good buddies. He was also filming on the trip. And then we had the two hosts. We'd been out elk hunting all day and we're walking back to the truck. Now it's dark. And when we get close to the truck, we see the lights on and the door, two of the doors are open. And we're in the middle of nowhere. So I'm kind of immediately, I'm thinking like the hills have eyes. There's people out here. And we got close to the truck. And I was like, hey, man, you, you go check that out. You know, kind of hung back. He went up there to it. He had a gun. I didn't. So he goes and checks the truck out and he's like, dude damn bear we go up there and look at it and one of our hosts had left a box of pizza in the back seat that bear had got in through the front door the truck wasn't locked he opened the front door climbed in you could see like slobber on the windshield paw prints on the windows he ate the seat and then he got in the back and ate the pizza which was (laughs) super disappointing after elk hunting all day ate all the pizza didn't leave any behind and then exited through the back door and i still that's to me, that's still one of the funnier things that we've had happen because we were all super freaked out when we first saw the truck. Like, what the hell is this? And then, yeah, got to watch some bears. That's crazy. You can see why people mistake bears to being, you know, stuck like, you know, ape for ape, apes out in the in the wilderness or other, you know, all these other mythical creatures that are found in the U.S. You can see why bears are often mistaken. You can't trust them. Can't trust them. <laughs> Black bears are curious little critters, man. They'll they'll steal your stuff. Oh, I heard they're tasty too. Yeah, I've you know we've uh, we've hunted a couple, and you know, Mary when she came over and started bow hunting, oddly enough, the first animal she ever killed with her bow was a bear in Georgia, which is not super common, uh, but that was the first thing she ever killed. And yeah, it's not bad. It's one of those things like you hear a lot of people talk bad about eating bear and like. I've had some that's good and some that's bad. I think a lot of it's in how it's prepared because it's a little bit, a little bit greasy. It's basically a giant raccoon. Okay. You don't have here, but yeah, I've, I've, I've shot a couple of raccoons. Um, mm-hmm. I, I didn't didn't look at them like I would, I'd eat them, but I've heard stories of people eating them. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I used to trap them and sell them. Well, I didn't sell them. That's that would be illegal. But I would trap them and give the meat away to people when I was a kid. So. That's cool. That's that's something I've always wanted is a coonskin hat. I wish I kept the skins off the uh, the ones that I shot, you know, just to go with my cat skin hat. <laughs> I have to bring you a saddle and a coonskin cap. You know about Davy Crockett out there. Oh, sounds, <laughs> sounds like a plan to me. And then I, I know it's illegal, but somehow get you a uh, cat skin stubby holder over there. <laughs> I'm sure that would go down well while you're traveling around the country. As many feral cats as I have at my house in Nashville, I'd probably make my own. This might be for the bomb. 
<laughs> You'll be like, uh, do you know Sam Woods? Where's he? I think he's Louisiana. Um, he's, he got into a bunch of controversy for hunting some feral cats over in the States. He's a big air gun hunter and air bow hunter. And... <laughs> mm, yeah, I can see that. Dude, we have a ton of feral cats in Nashville. It's kind of a problem. So we probably need you to come over at some point. I can imagine. Sign me up. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of hunting in, internationally, what are your top five dream animals to hunt? Man, I haven't gotten to cover as much ground on this as I want to. So a lot of the animals are still in North America. Uh, my number one, brown bear with my bow. That's been my number one since I was a little kid. Whereabouts I have, would you like to do that? Uh, well, like Kodiak Island has always been like just what I've seen and known. So really any of the islands up there, uh, coastal brown bear with the bow for sure. I, it seems kind of stupid, but. Also, I don't know. Just awesome. I want to do it real bad. They're huge. I can get around uh, that. Yeah. I mean, that being said, I want to have somebody with me with a gun that's good with it right, right here beside me. I can um, imagine. Yeah. I'm not too proud to have a guy with a gun with me on that one. But uh, <laughs> other than that, man, elk, elk, since I've been a little kid, I've been infatuated with elk and I've been able to be on some really good hunts for them. I've not yet been able to kill one for myself, hopefully this year. So that's really high on my list. I think they're just one of the coolest animals there is. Uh, you know, growing up turkey hunting in the south, an elk is like, it's just a giant turkey. Is there Boy, a particular state you have fascinations to take your first? You know, growing up, funny, like growing up, I always would say Montana. And I was like, when I graduate high school, dad's going to take me to Montana elk hunting or whatever. I always wanted to Montana. I don't know why. I just always thought Montana was like the spot for elk. Um, so if I wind up killing my first in Montana, that'd be kind of funny, but um, yeah, I've actually never, other than the Remy Warren hunt, that's the only time I've actually been on an elk hunt in Montana. Most of them have been New Mexico, Colorado, and Utah. Yeah. So, but it'd be pretty cool if I kill one in Montana. So. Yeah, I got fascinated with um, elk in um, Oregon after one of my, my good mates went over there and he nailed a, what was it, a, th- a 330 bull for his first elk ever with a bow. Just absolutely nailed it yeah that's to me like you hear people talk same as like with the whitetail world you hear people talk about you know like a really big whitetail oh 170 plus but really a 140 is still a big whitetail same with elk like an elk over 280 is getting it from me if he's over 300 inches that's a big elk i know there's a lot of people that have been successful in three 300 330 may not be that big to them but i'll cry if i shoot a 330 yeah. um, for your first elk yeah. it's crazy <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that is nuts. And then other than that, like a Yukon moose, just to stay in North America. And then internationally, um, a kudu in Africa would be really cool. And then I'm just going to go ahead and say like a mm, – what's the one in Iran? Markor. If I kill a Markor, you'll know that your boy is super rich, and that <laughs> would be pretty cool. So we'll go ahead and put that on the list. Why not? Yeah, that that would be hey, sweet. I, like what three hundred thousand dollars to hunt those things so yeah you just you just need to win some type of lottery and then boom straight on that <laughs> yeah i won't tell you that i won the lottery but you'll know <laughs> no that's that's sweet going back to bear quickly what for an australian looking to go over to the states to hunt bear what would be the best state you would reckon i guess it depends how you want to do it i mean if you want to bow hunt them or gun hunt them 
do you want to hunt them over bait or do you want to get in there and spot and stalk? Um, that would be the big difference. Hunting over bait with a bow, most people wind up in Canada, yeah. Ontario, Northern Ontario, places like that. Um, in the States, you can hunt them over bait in like, I think Minnesota, some places like that. But for going like spring bear hunting with a rifle, especially um, getting in the mountains and hunting them not over bait, like Idaho is kind of like the big one for people to go to. I haven't done that one myself, but Idaho and Montana, I've, I've filmed hunting them in Montana that way. So if you don't want to hunt over a bait pile, that's the way to go. Uh, I would think for archery, if you wanted to hunt them not over bait, coastal black bears would be the way to go. Um, again, I've not got to do that, but I've seen a whole lot of videos from Alaska of people hunting them from boats, seeing them on the on the beaches and hunting them coastal. I think that'd be pretty cool. Yeah, sweet. Yeah, I've I've got Oregon in my head for black bear and uh, Louis, uh, not Louisiana, um, Arkansas. Yeah, the South is there's huge bears down South. That's what people often don't realize that there's huge black bears in the South. Uh, like I hunted them in Georgia quite a bit, and again, you're not allowed to bait in the South typically. So, like in North Georgia, the way you would typically hunt them is figure out where the white oaks are dropping and hunt them on the white oaks. A lot of times you'll hear them, they'll climb up in trees and you'll hear them breaking limbs because they're trying to get white oaks out of the trees. And that's how a lot of times you just figure out what elevation they're hunting or they're hitting at and you hunt them there. Um, but yeah, there's huge bears in the South. People don't realize like you can't hunt them in Florida. They had a season a few years ago, but typically you can't hunt them in Florida, but they have huge black bears in Florida. Um, but a lot of people like North Carolina, they hunt them and Georgia. They hunt them with dogs quite a bit. Same as Arkansas. So, yeah, yeah, that's that's it it's all it's all interesting to me. I'm I'm not what I'll definitely hunt one over bait. Um, I'm not shy to admit that. I'd be quite happy sitting in a tree stand. They they seem like a pretty pretty smart animals from the the video videos I've watched. You know, one of there's two of my favorite black bear hunting videos uh, from Clay Newcomb, and there's one where the bear walks up and touches the end of his arrow when he's hunting alaska or canada wherever he was and then one where he shoots a barry's nickname batman and he's he shoots it on last light and he's just like i've shot batman and it was one of the funniest videos i've i've seen definitely no shame in hunting them over bait uh four or five years ago me and mary went up to northern ontario and she was able to kill one with her bow and it's awesome those forests up there are so dense and thick that there's really no other way to hunt them um hey it's just vast but also you just can't move in that stuff it's super thick timber so to be able to get in there and spot and stock one would i'm not saying it's impossible but it would be pretty challenging so i definitely don't have anything over hunting hunting over bait uh we had a great time and in this time of year this is bear season now and it just it's dark for like three or four hours out of the day there so it's pretty fun long days and there's time to go fishing so that's fun I bet. I, I don't know how I'd go with the long days. It's just something so surreal compared, like you see that, you know, some of those places up there have 45 minutes a, a night. And Hey, you, you travel that far to go on a hunt, you don't need to sleep anyway. <laughs> yeah. uh, sleep's precious to me. I, I struggle without it. I, I need a, a good solid, you know. Normally 8.30, I'm asleep apart from my podcast nights. <laughs> You can sleep in the bear blind. You just oh. might get woke up rudely. <laughs> I hope I could imagine. What is your favorite thing to cook with hunted food? Whitetail backstraps. I like doing like cream cheese jalapenos. 
like butterfly the steaks, put those in it, wrap it up with bacon on the grill. Yeah. That's, that's my number one probably. That that sounds that sounds pretty good. And how many deer species have you taken? Um, whitetail and mule deer. Yeah. Would, well, I guess antelope, antelope's not a deer, but an antelope, mule deer, and whitetail. Mainly whitetail is what I've grown up with. Uh, I've not hunted blacktail yet, and then I haven't got to hunt the fallow and red deer and all that. I've uh, I've been on some hunts filming for for red deer. That's pretty high on the list. Those things are pretty awesome. Have you um, tried a bunch of those different species then? Like tried eating them? A couple of them. Um, I had definitely had red deer. It was really good. I mean, it's very similar to an elk. Um, but other than that, probably not. I don't think I've ever had fallow. So put that on the list. Hopefully I get to do that at some point. Maybe on this trip. Who knows? <laughs> It'd be good. I know that um, like from the whitetail I've had, I know it, it varies on what they're eating and whereabouts they're, they're from. But, you know, the whitetail that I had down in Mexico, very average venison compared to some of the other venison species I've had. So, Yeah, and I would say if you had a whitetail in the Midwest that was corn-fed, it would probably be a whole lot different. Um, and then, you know, there's also how it was prepared, how it was taken care of. So those are variables. But, yeah, I'd say if you went to the Midwest and had a good corn-fed whitetail, you'd probably think it was pretty good compared to Mexico. I could imagine. It's, uh, yeah, completely different hunting down there, that's for sure. But it was awesome. I wouldn't change, wouldn't have changed that trip for the world. It was a pretty good Just, introduction to whitetail hunting. Absolutely. That's fun hunting down there because you know you're going to be in them. You're going to see stuff, and you're going to get to send some arrows. So. I was, I was amazed at the amount, amount of game, you know, just pigs, javelina, hares, cottontails, deer, just everything everywhere. Yeah, the first time I took Mary to Texas, we were down there, and the guy drove by in the truck with the feeder, and he, he drove by, hit the feeder, and then the brush just started vomiting deer or whatever. It didn't take long for Mary to be back on the radio like, Moss corn, por favor, <laughs> going through with more corn. Uh, it's pretty fun, like ringing the dinner bell down there. Oh, those those vehicle feeders are just insane. Like just learning everything about that style of hunting was just completely mind altering. Yeah, it's a whole lot different down there for sure. But it's fun. I mean, if you were going to take somebody for their first deer hunt, that'd be pretty dang fun. The one thing I wish we had down here was that candy apple scented corn that they get down there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, like crack for those deer. Oh, I could. But see. I mean, you around there, it's like there's not a whole lot for them to eat in that country, so makes sense why some apple flavored corn would be pretty good to them. Oh, hundred percent, hundred percent. What would be your best hunting story? Hmm. I'd have to sort through that for a minute, but I think the the biggest deer I killed with my bow was pretty cool. Uh, I killed him in Kansas a few years ago, and uh, it was a spot that was wide open. There wasn't a whole lot there. And there was one drain through the middle of it that had trees in it. And those whitetails were just pouring down into that drainage. And, uh, there, I wouldn't say there was just a ton of deer there, but there was one in there that was good. And I remember there'd been another hunter in there that had seen him and told me about it. And we didn't have a trail camera in there. We didn't really know what was there. I just was going off of his word. And I went in there and hunted it one day. And I remember sitting in the tree stand, there was one lane that I wanted to be able to shoot that I couldn't. So the next day I woke up a little bit late and it was already daylight. I was kind of, I was pretty sick actually. Woke up a little late, 
and uh, went ahead and made my way. I think I left the house at like nine o'clock in the morning. I took a limb saw with me and I was going to trim that limb so that I had that shooting lane. And I hung my bow on the bow rope and I walked up to that lane and I cut a sapling and laid it down. And when I laid it down, I looked up and I saw a rack going through the woods towards me. So I belly crawled back to the tree I got my bow off of the rope and I just leaned up against the tree on the ground and he walked by. It was super windy that day and he just not really paying a lot of attention, just kind of walking. You could tell he felt super safe where he was and uh, tried to stop him at 25 yards ish and he didn't stop. And I wound up, I just kind of leaned out and shot and uh, hit him a touch back. And I remember I just, I'd never shot a deer that big before. And I kind of freaked out. I called my, my buddy. I called Mary and I was like, I don't know how big he is. He's either like a hundred inches or 180 inches, but like pretty sure he's 180 inches cause he's, he's big. And, uh, I wound up, I wasn't a hundred percent sure. I thought my shot might've been a little back. So I waited quite a while before I went and looked. And later that afternoon I tiptoed in there and I had good blood on both sides. He only went like hundred yards. And if it wouldn't have been so windy, I would have heard him tip over cause he landed in the river and it was just, it was iced over and I could see his rack sticking out of the ice and he wound up being just shy of 180 inches. Uh, so pretty That's awesome cool. white tail. That was a cool hunt. Just being able to hunt him on the ground, which was not intentional, but killing a deer of that caliber off the ground with your bow is pretty cool. That's that. not something you get to do all the time. So that was yeah, pretty big. It's, it's definitely not something that's done in the States heaps, but it also sounds from, you know, some of the podcasts I've heard, those bigger deer that tend to fall were just unexpected. You know, someone's just about to climb into their stand or get into their blind and they, they kill it off the ground on the way in or the way out. Yeah, I mean, the, the second encounter I've had with a deer of that caliber was the two years after that, so like a year or so ago. I was in Kansas again, and I had I wound up hitting one in the shoulder the day before, I believe, and he was perfectly fine. I was still getting pictures of him, so I was in there, but I was super frustrated. I just I wasn't confident in my shooting anymore. Like I just remember being real kind of off my game, and I decided I was going to go sit on the ground that afternoon, um, just kind of like, killed my biggest deer doing it why not and I just walked in and sat down and I remember I was gonna sit by this one oak tree that was pretty hidden and I was just gonna sit there with my bow kind of ready well I got there and I took my jacket off and I set my jacket down and, and when I did I had my bow laid on the ground and I heard and I looked up and like a legit 170 180 was standing at 25 yards looking away from me I was like oh shit so I grabbed my bow and by the time I got it about halfway around he took off and he, he never saw me never winded me or anything. He just took off chasing a doe and I watched him chase a doe all the way around this huge field. And like 10 minutes later, the deer's dead. And, uh, yeah, it's always when you don't expect it. That's insane. That's crazy. It would be definitely good fun hunting whitetail like that. You know, I saw, saw some big ish deer while I was in Mexico. Um, but you know, the one I shot's probably one, one Oh five, one ten. you know, nothing special, but a big, big body deer for, for where they are, you know, big, thick, rutted out neck. It's yep. def- definitely a cool yeah. animal to hunt. Yeah. One of these days you'll have to get over and hunt the Midwest. It's uh white tail hunting can be super boring. You put in a lot of hours to get that like two minutes of glory, but uh, when it works, it's pretty awesome. And every now and then it seems like every year you have two or three days in that season that are like magical days. And those are the ones that keep you coming back for more because like, a good November day where there's deer acting crazy everywhere is pretty hard to beat. No, oh, it's the same with fallow and reds, man. Um, as soon as you hear them 
that's you know why fallow are, are one of the top rated deer in oz just because how vocal they are and how crazy they are that's something you have to get down here and experience absolutely that's the one i've been missing because the problem is the roar is right in the middle of turkey season so one of these days i'm gonna have to break away from turkey hunting and come over you need to do it you know even if you head down to new zealand rather than oz and go chase some reds and a fallow down there at least you'll be able to smash a few turkeys while you're down there yeah that'd make me feel all right i could do that one of my uh, one of my good mates down there he's he's on the south island and they got contracted to clean up a bunch of turkeys on a farm You'll never guess how many they had to clean up in one day. I've heard some outrageous numbers on that. Wow, six, seven hundred? Uh, eight, nine hundred, I'm pretty sure it was. <laughs> That's a lot of Thanksgiving dinners. Oh, those those boys are wild down there. You you would get along well with some of these Kiwis. <laughs> yeah. I like Kiwis. I like the way they say pigs. It makes me laugh. Pug. Pags. Pug. <laughs> so how do you see the public views on hunting and hunters man it's a it's a lot different game over here than at home for sure uh i think when it comes to the states the culture is a little bit more ingrained so i think there's a whole lot more people that are just kind of on the fence that don't necessarily care and a lot less that are just absolutely against it uh i think for our purposes, I think I just need to ignore the people that are against it and focus on the people that just haven't been exposed to it that don't really care that much because um, there's just a lot more of them. And those are the ones that with a little bit of education and exposure to it, those are the ones that we need in our corner. Yeah. Um, over here, it seems like the culture isn't as ingrained. There's not as many hunters. Like the, the hunting culture here is just not there yet. It kind of almost feels like on the media side, like it's, what hunting was in the States 20, 30 years ago, as far as like, it's getting popular, it's gaining traction. And I, I don't know, but it seems like the COVID times probably more than anything helped that cause because people started questioning where their food comes from and what happens when the grocery stores don't have anything on their shelves. Um, so yeah, it seems like Australia is a little bit more, there's more resistance. Um, you got a, a tougher fight here for sure, but it also seems like it's growing. How do you go explaining to people that you meet down here what you do for a living? I just try not to. <laughs> Man, that's a complicated one here. Um, no, I just I tell them what we do generally, and then with the hunting stuff, just try to explain what we do and why we do it. Uh, I grew up with it, and you know, a lot of the conversations I've run into here is people don't understand the trophy hunting side of it. They don't understand why I'm on Instagram with a deer holding him up and why I'm proud of it. So explaining that and that there's a whole lot more to it than just that moment. Um, so, yeah. And how do you go explaining that to, to people down here who wouldn't have an idea about the North American model of conservation and. Yeah. I mean, it's a lot different, right? Cause in the States, most of our game animals are native animals, whereas here it's a lot of invasive. So it's, it's a little bit different conversation. Um, the North American game model, I mean, for the last 100, 200 years, it's proven to be pretty successful because it was born out of failures. Um, it's Yeah, that one's kind of hard to explain to people because we have those animals that are native and we want them to be here for my grandkids and their kids. And it's hard to explain to people that I love white-tailed deer and I love wild turkeys and I want them to be plentiful on my farm, but I'm also going to hunt them and I'm going to kill them and I'm going to be proud of that. Uh, so it's, it's kind of hard to explain that when it's so different from here. 
but uh yeah i mean it's it's hard to deny especially in the states if you look at the numbers of if you look at huge tracts of land of public in california that do not allow hunting are those animals in better shape than the ones on a private ranch where they control the management no and then you explain uh the robert pitney or the pitman roberts act i may have that wrong but uh percentage the self-imposed tax that we have for all of our rifles our ammunition our hunting equipment i thought the other day that it had uh, surpassed 16 billion dollars raised for conservation in the last since it's been but i think in the last two years it said over two billion in conservation and that's from hunters and fishermen that's not from PETA people so it's i always ask uh, you talk to somebody from PETA, what did they actually do to benefit wild game what did they do to benefit the land what did hunters do? And we have numbers that we can show them of what we did. Uh, $2 billion raised in two years for hunting and conservation goes pretty far. And, and when you start looking at guns, ammunition, most camping outdoor equipment, and then you've got the Dingle Johnson, which is all fishing. Yeah. So, I mean, we, we do have a lot of good nonprofits like Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation and the NWTF, National Wild Turkey Federation. Uh, there's a lot of good organizations like that. We also have, you know, SCI, uh, which is does a great job at protecting our rights as hunters and fishers. I mean, and they work over here as well. Um, but yeah, just explaining to them why we do it, the reasons why we do it, and that it is sustainable and there is long-term plan there. It's not, I don't want to go into a farm and eradicate the deer. I want those deer to be there for 100, 200 years for, for everybody to enjoy. Um, I think just rene- viewing them as a renewable resource is that's what it is for us. What's your take on Australia and being introduced? You know, we've got the helicopter culling, we've got bathing of deer. You know, you've got this argument of, you know, some hunter shooters want them wiped all out off the land. Conservationists want them wiped off the land. And then you've got people like myself that are on the fence knowing that, you know, you, you take, the more you take off the landscape, the better it is for conservation. But I don't want, there to be in Australia without these animals as well? I mean, listen, I'm not super educated on the topic, so I don't know the negative effect that the, the ne- negative effect that fallow deer have on the landscape. I, I'm not educated on that here. I would think at some point they would have to look at it and say, are we actually going to be able to get rid of these animals? Are we actually going to be able to get rid of all fallow deer out of New South Wales? Probably not. So at what point do you view them as a benefit, as a resource? I mean, for one, beast of burden. Um, two, like there can be a lot of revenue built off of the deer. Uh, so I don't know. I, I, it's a little bit more complex conversation, right? It um, is. Deer, so I guess, I don't know. It, it, there's There needs to be some biologists that are smarter than me that make that call. But I would think at some point you'd have to look at it and say, we're not going to get rid of them. We might as well embrace it because creating a proud hunter culture that's people that are proud to go out and provide for their family, put meat in the freezer versus sending guys out in helicopters with rifles to shoot them and let them lay. Uh, I think it would be much healthier to promote the hunting culture than to just send government shooters out. But Yeah, unfortunately, well, depends how you look at it. The biologists are advocating for them to be removed off the land because, you know, one deer on the landscape is doing damage. That's not sustainable for native flora and fauna. So, it's 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 one of those things. It's a hard subject. One of my good mates, Dan, he's a biologist. He got, he dives down. I've had him on the podcast. Me and him did a deep dive. We did a three and a half hour podcast on this subject, and it's just such a such a touchy 
touchy subject, you know. So everyone's like, oh, they're not feral. They're they're just an introduced game species, and some people feral wipe them off the land. It's such a hard one to work and we can't bring in a north american model of conservation forum either just because they're that introduced species as well it's it's a tough subject but it's uh, good to get your your view on it as well you know it's good to get an outside perspective yeah i need to be a little bit more educated on that to be uh, a voice of authority on that but oh, that's good i would just think it would be very hard to eradicate a thriving population of fallow deer in this country yeah, it's not just uh, fallow deer. Because yeah. I'm, I'm not sure if you're aware, but we've got uh, six different species of deer here. Yeah. red. You got red deer, hog-nosed deer, samber deer. Hog deer. Not, not hog-nosed deer, but yeah, hog, hog deer. We got, yeah, fallow, reds, rusa, hog deer, chittle, which you guys call axis, and um, samba. Okay, yeah. Yeah, I would think it would be pretty hard to get rid of especially the axis and fallow seem like they're pretty prolific. Oh, hundred percent. So I don't know. At some point you, you look at it as, can we actually get rid of them or should we embrace it? Um, I don't know. That's pretty much the look. argument that's, that's going on at the moment with, with hunters and politicians and stuff at the moment. But yeah, moving on from that, how would you change the public views on hunting and hunters? I think just educating people and encouraging people um, to, to show themselves in a positive light. If you're a hunter, you represent this community, do it in a positive light. Um, you know, there's some things that just don't need to be shown or need to be shown in a tasteful way. Uh, I don't, I'm never going to shy away from the fact that I'm a hunter, proud of that fact, but I also don't need to post pictures of a bloody deer hanging off the hood of my truck. Uh, so I think just, you know, educating people and, uh, yeah, just be a good ambassador of the sport is the main thing. Like introduce new people to it and introduce them the right way. Yeah. You know, get them like this year we took uh, a lady turkey hunting that had never hunted before. We t gave her a lesson on everything, kind of taught her what we were doing. We took her out hunting, and then after the fact, we she cleaned the turkey and we cooked the turkey and brought it full circle and just kind of showed her everything we knew or that we could show her on that trip. And uh, safe to say, she's a hunter now. And before she wasn't against hunting. She just didn't know about it. She wasn't exposed to it. She didn't have somebody to show her. So I think getting people like that into the outdoors and just being a good ambassador to your sport. Yep. that hundred percent agree there. Um, was Mary's introduction to hunting with you or what did she do some before that? Or it was, she, uh, she wanted to hunt in the past over here. And she actually said that she had a boyfriend. Oh, and he said it was a new place for women. Um, so she had never hunted before. And then when she met me, I mean, that was pretty much my life. So it was either her never see me or her come with me. So I invited her turkey hunting and that was the first hunt she ever did. Uh, I took her to Nebraska and I just, I was not a good teacher back then. I just threw her straight in the fire. I was like, she'll figure it out. And I didn't realize she, she had shot before, but she hadn't shot many guns and I gave her like a safety lesson, but I didn't do as good of a lesson as I probably should have, but she figured it out pretty quick. And uh, she fell in love with it right off the bat, and now she's pretty ate up with it. She yeah. loves turkey hunting and, and bow say, hunting and everything. Now look at her. She's a badass in the hunting hunting community. She's doing well. We'll have to get her on once once it's all settled with the baby and everything. We'll have to get her on next time you guys are down under. 
Oh yeah. Yeah. She'd love to, but yeah, she's, I mean, she's a perfect example. She was never given the opportunity to hunt, was never exposed to it, but as soon as she was, she just fell right into it. So, and she's got a great story, but we'll, uh, we'll save that for her to tell. I reckon, I reckon it will be yeah. a, a good podcast episode learning about how, how she jumped across the ditch and where she came from here. I think she's got an awesome story. So yeah, you'll have to get her on. I'm sure get here in a couple of weeks after she's had this kid, she'll probably be ready. Sounds, sounds like a plan. Uh, so what is hunting to you? Man, is, I mean, it's kind of where I find my, my identity, I guess. Um, it's something that gives me something to look forward to. gives me something to make, to have goals. Uh, it's where I've made most of my friends and good relationships. Most of the, the best memories I have in my life center around hunting, fishing camps. So, um, pretty huge part of who I am. Uh, so yeah, I'd say just really my identity is who I am. I mean, that's pretty huge part of my life. Yeah. It's a, it's, it's a simple answer. It's a simple question to answer, but it's a hard one at the same time, but everyone answers it very similar, but in their own unique way. It's, it's definitely my, I say it every episode, but it's one of my favorite, favorite questions to ask because it, yeah. it, it takes everyone back a little bit and they have to think about it before they answer. It's weird. Like I spend so much of my day right now sitting around like looking at Onyx and looking at like Montana at the map and trying to figure out where I'm going to hunt this September. And like, it kind of consumes my mind largely. And I often wonder like, what do people that don't hunt look forward to? Like, what are they making plans to do? Like, yeah, I'm in like a country music concert or something cool. Like, I can do that too. But yeah, I don't know. I'd be pretty bored if it weren't for, for hunting and fishing. Yeah, you. Like, what do you even look forward to? You you put it like that, yeah. I, I I have no clue. I spend my days listening to you know. I listen to eight or nine different podcasts a week. I spend you know forty hours a week driving, and I'm just smashing podcasts left, right, and center, and it's just absorbing everything: hunting, fishing, and outdoors. Yeah, there's no telling what kind of weird shit you'd be into. You'd probably be in prison by now. Who knows? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> more than likely. More than likely. <laughs> So if people have enjoyed what they've heard today and they want to check out your show and follow your social media, where can they find you? Where can they find your show? Um, is there a way for Australians to, to watch it? Yeah, absolutely. The, the easiest way is pretty much on all social media platforms, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, it's just country outdoors. Uh, pretty easy to, to find there. And then we're on several streaming platforms. Otherwise, um, we have Mossy Oak Go, which is available here. We have YouTube, uh, Outdoor Channel, with MOTV. And then um, Outdoor America is another streaming app. I don't know if that's available here, but there is one here. What's the streaming app here? I'm not too sure. I know What's MOTV. I've seen. There's a streaming platform here that's Australian-owned. It's called You Hunt, and we've started putting our show on there as well. Okay, awesome. Awesome. Uh, yeah. But, yeah. You hunt. Yeah. That's, there's a fella in Queensland. He also runs the, um, the hunting club. They're both awesome, awesome things. So yeah, if you guys listening, haven't checked out the hunting club, check them out. And, um, yeah, you hunt is, uh, is the, the new one. He hasn't got an app for it yet. So it's still website orientated last time I checked. Yeah. Yeah. So pretty much anywhere, anywhere like that or streaming, um, we have a podcast as well, but yeah, country outdoors, you'll find us. And, uh, from there you'll find our personal handles. 
That's awesome. Well, I appreciate you taking the time out. You know, it's a busy time in your guys' lives at the moment. So, you know, I, I messaged you today saying, hey, I got a, a an hour and a bit free before I do a late podcast with some uh, Danish fellas. So, and you... Well, it's about time. I've been oh. waiting my invite for quite some time now. I would have woke up in the middle of the night to do it. Oh, I wanted to get you fresh, mate. <laughs> well, check. We did it. Yeah, not nah, awesome. Uh, and it won't be the last, that's for sure. I've enjoyed having you on and I'm definitely keen to hear about more of your adventures and get you down here to South Oz and head out for a hunt and do do a podcast in the field. Well, I'll send you some updates. Hopefully I have at least one adventure before I leave here. So nah, I'll, so I'll keep you updated. But yeah, appreciate you having me on. Nah, sounds like a plan. Thank you very much, man. Yep. Thank you for listening to another episode of Hunting Connection Podcast. Please head over to our social media and give us a follow. Instagram at Hunting Connection Podcast, Facebook at Hunting Connection Podcast, Twitter at Hunting Connect, TikTok at Hunting Connection Podcast. If you've enjoyed, please share with your friends and family, tag us in your photos and videos on social media, subscribe, rate and review to help grow the podcast. If you're interested in giving additional support to the podcast you can head over to our podcast patreon page thank you very much for listening and catch you next episode